0: So uh, that was Trisha coming in to remind me that it was time to do the stream, the current event stream. So <laughs> uh, hopefully she'll be coming back. We, we took a break after the current event stream to eat and whatnot. Um, but anyway, back to the story. Um, the 12th Street scene and lead up to the riot. Um, at night... Uh, 12th street in detroit was a hot spot of inner city nightlife both legal and illegal at the corner of 12th and claremont william scott operated a quote blind pig uh, an illegal after hours club on weekends out of the office of the united community league for civic action a civil rights group the police vice squad often raided establishments like this on 12th street and at 3.35 a.m. on Sunday morning, July 23rd, they moved against Scott's Club. On that warm, humid night, the establishment was hosting a party for several veterans, including two servicemen recently returned from the Vietnam War, and the bar's patrons were reluctant to leave the air-conditioned club. Out on the street, a crowd began to gather as police waited for vehicles to take the 85 patrons away. An hour passed before the last person was taken away, and by then about 200 onlookers lined the street. A bottle crashed into the street, the remaining police ignored it, but then more bottles were thrown, including one through the window of a patrol car. The police fled as a small riot erupted. Within an hour, thousands of people had spilled out onto the street from nearby buildings. Looting began on 12th Street, and closed shops and businesses were ransacked. At around 6.30 a.m., the first fire broke out, and soon much of the street was ablaze. By mid-morning, every policeman and fireman in Detroit was called to duty. On 12th Street, um, officers fought to control the unruly mob. Firemen uh, were attacked as they tried to battle the flames. Um, So I'm going to switch over here to the Wikipedia so that way I'm not, you know jumping around too much uh chronologically. Um hang on just a second, there we go. Um so okay, so yeah, anyway, the police when they got there expected a few people inside, but found 82. Um and the police decided to arrest everyone. And uh, later in a memoir, William Walter Scott III, a doorman whose father was running the raided blind pig, took responsibility for starting the riot by inciting the crowd and throwing a bottle at a police officer. Um, so like the looting began at, a, at an adjacent clothing store. And then shortly after full-scale looting began throughout the neighborhood. The Michigan State Police, Wayne County Sheriff's Department, and the Michigan Army National Guard were alerted, but because it was a Sunday, it took hours for Police Commissioner Ray Gerardin to assemble sufficient manpower. (coughs) Meanwhile, witnesses described uh, seeing a carnival atmosphere on 12th Street. The DPD, inadequate in number and wrongly believed that the rioting would soon expire, just stood there and watched. Police did not make their first arrest, other than the 82 patrons, uh, until 7 a.m., three hours after the raid. Uh, To the east on Chain Street, the report said crowd was of mixed composition. The pastor of Grace Episcopal Church along 12th Street reported that he saw a, quote, gleefulness in throwing stuff and getting stuff out of buildings. Uh, The police conducted several sweeps along 12th Street, which proved ineffective because the Uh, because of the unexpectedly large numbers of people. The first major fire broke mid-afternoon in a grocery store at the corner of 12th and Atkinson. The crowd prevented firefighters from extinguishing it and soon more smoke filled the skyline. Um, The local news media initially avoided reporting on the disturbance so as to not inspire copycat violence, but the rioting started to expand to other parts of the city including looting, uh, looting of retail and grocery stores elsewhere. By Sunday afternoon, news had spread and people attending events, such as Fox Theater, Motown Review, and uh, Detroit Tigers baseball games were warned to avoid certain areas of the city. Motown's Martha Reeves was on stage at the Fox singing Jimmy Max" and was asked, uh, was asked to ask people to leave quietly as there was trouble outside. After the game, Tigers left fielder Willie Horton, a Detroit resident who had grown up not far from 12th Street, drove to the riot area and stood on a car in the middle of the crowd while still in his baseball baseball uniforms. Despite his impassioned pleas, he could not calm the crowd. Mayor Jerome Kavanaugh stated that the situation was critical, but not yet out of control. At uh, 7.45 p.m. that first Meaning Sunday night, uh, Kavanaugh extended a citywide uh, 9 p.m. to 5:30 a.m. Cur- curfew, prohibited sales of alcohol and firearms, and business activity was informally curtailed in recognition of the serious civil unrest engulfing sections of the city. Um, a number of adjoining communities also enacted curfews. There was significant white participation in the rioting and looting. <coughs> uh. Uh, Raising questions as to whether the event fits into the classical race riot category. I would say that it largely was a race riot, but uh, class was a serious issue here. Uh, We are talking about impoverished, oppressed people who have watched their city begin to crumble from being, you know, the epicenter of world manufacturing. Um, It was a bunch of things coming to a head at once. And it would be a disservice in talking about this to make it sound like it wasn't a race riot, but it would also be a disservice to make it sound like it wasn't a class riot. Um, There there were uh, white people participating and not necessarily just against uh, the black community as we saw in 1943. so that's just my take on it um especially the people who lived through the riot certainly considered it a race riot um and and i can't say that i disagree with that i'm not going to try to argue against that at all um anyway so july 24th uh, Michigan State Police and the Wayne County Sheriff's Department were called into Detroit to assist an overwhelm Detroit police force. As the violence spread, the police began to make numerous arrests to clear rioters off the streets, housing the detainees in makeshift jails. Beginning Monday, people were detained without being brought to recorder's court for arraignment. Some gave false names, making the process of identifying those arrested difficult because of the need to take and take, uh, check fingerprints. Um, and Windsor police across the Ambassador Bridge there were asked to help check fingerprints. Um, Police began to take pictures of looters arrested, the arresting officer, and stolen goods to speed up the process and postpone the paperwork. More than 80% of those arrested were Black. About 12% were women. Michigan National Guardsmen were not authorized to arrest people, so state troopers and police officers made all arrests without discriminating between civilians and criminals. Um, and of, of course you could expect that there was partisan political responses. Uh, Michigan Governor George Romney, uh, if I remember correctly, he was the father of Mitt, um, if my memory serves me correctly and President Lyndon B. Johnson initially disagreed about the legality of sending in federal troops. Johnson said he could not send federal troops in without Romney's declaring a state of insurrection to meet compliance with the Insurrection Act. As the historian Sidney Fine details in Violence in the Model City, uh, partisan political issues, complicated decisions as is common in crisis, George Romney was expected to run for the Republican presidential nomination in 1968, and President Johnson, a Democrat, did not want to commit troops solely on Romney's direction. Added to this was Mayor uh, Jerome Kavanaugh's own political and personal clash with Romney. Kavanaugh, a young Irish Catholic Democrat who had cultivated harmonious relations with black leaders both inside and outside the city, was initially (coughs) reluctant to ask Romney, a Republican, for assistance. Just one more way that the two-party system fails us. Uh, anytime that we see any sort of crisis, they don't know how to deal with it. Um, anyway, the viol- violence escalated throughout Monday resulting in some 483 fires, 231 incidents reported per hour, and 1800 arrests looting and arson were widespread black-owned businesses were not spared well, remember white people were rioting too but anyway uh one of the first stores looted in detroit was hardy's drugstore owned by blacks and known for filling prescriptions on credit detroit's leading black-owned women's clothing store was burned as was uh one of the city's best loved black-owned restaurants. In the wake of the riots, a black merchant said, you were gonna get looted no matter what color you were. Firefighters of the Detroit Fire Department were attempting to fight the fires were shot at by riots. During the riots, 2,498 rifles and 38 handguns were stolen from local stores. It was obvious that the city of Detroit, Wayne County and the state of Michigan forces were unable to restore order. <clears throat> On Monday, U.S. Representative John Conyers, a Democrat from Michigan, who is against federal troop deployment, attempted to ease tensions by driving along 12th Street with a loudspeaker asking people to return to their homes. Reportedly, Conyers stood on the hood of uh, the hood of the car and shouted through a bull uh, through a bullhorn, "We're with you, but please, this is not the way to do things. Please go back to your homes." But the crowd refused to listen, and Conyers' car was pelted with rocks and bottles. Um, July 25th uh, was the date of the Algiers Motel incident, um, also known as the Algiers Motel murders. Um, So I guess I'm going to talk specifically about that first um so this was throughout the night of the 25th and 26th of july so you know the the most intense part of this whole thing uh I'm a, approximately one mile east of where the riot began three civilians were killed and nine others abused severely by a riot task force um composed of the Detroit Police Department, Michigan State Police, and Michigan Army National Guard. Among the casualties, three teenage black boys were killed, two white women and seven black men were severely uh, injured. The task force was searching the area after reports were received that a gunman or group of gunmen, possibly snipers, had been set at or near the motel. Uh, One death was never explained as the body was allegedly found by responding officers. Two deaths have been attributed to quote, justifiable homicide or self-defense. Charges of um, felonious assault, conspiracy, murder, and conspiracy to uh, commit civil rights abuse were filed against three officers. Charges of assault and conspiracy were also filed on a private security guard uh, all were found not guilty. <clears throat> um, so the Algiers Motel was on Woodward Avenue, uh, if you remember from the video earlier, near the Virginia Park District. Uh, and it was a black owned business owned by Sam Gaunt and McCurrent Pie. It was one of three motels in Detroit owned by them the others being the Alamo at Alfred and Woodward and the Rio Grande on West Grand uh, near Grand River. Um, Prior to the purchase in 1965, uh, the motel's white owner had barred Black people from staying at the motel. The Algiers was considered by the police to be a center of illegal drugs and prostitution and was raided regularly by the vice squad. It was located next to the then-headquarters of General Motors, and executive of the firm were regular customers. Um, To the rear of the motel, a three-story detached home known as the Manor House or the Annex, was also rented to clients. Its street address was 50 Virginia Park Street, and it was accessible from uh, Virginia Park through a driveway from Woodward. The motel itself was laid out in the shape of a U with its office pool and cabana rooms to the left and a two-story wing of rooms to the right uh, around its parking lot. The manor house could be seen from Woodward Avenue. Um, There is no like plaque or memorial as far as I'm aware there to this day. Um, which is kind of crazy. Um. But a lot of the people, um, that were there had taken refuge from the rioting. Um. And they, they were all beaten. Um. yeah i don't know we could do an entire other piece on the algiers incident um so i think that i'm just going to get back to the timeline uh shortly before midnight on monday july 24th president johnson authorized the use of federal troops in compliance with the insurrection act of 1807 which authorizes the president to call in armed forces to fight an insurrection in any state against the government This gave Detroit the distinction of being the only domestic American city to have been occupied by federal troops three times. Um, The US Army's 82nd Airborne Division and 101st Airborne Division had earlier been positioned at nearby Selfridge Air Force Base in suburban Macomb County. Starting at 1.30 on Tuesday, July 25th, some 800, or whoa, 8,000, sorry, not 800,000, 8,000, Michigan uh, Army National Guardsmen were deployed to quell the disorder. Later, their number would be augmented with 4,700 paratroopers from both the 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions and 360 Michigan State Police Officers. Chaos continued. The police were overworked and tired. Detroit police were found to have committed as many, uh, I'm sorry, not as many, many acts of abuse against both blacks and whites who were in their custody. Although only 26 of over the the 7,000 arrests involved snipers and not one person accused of sniping was successfully prosecuted, uh, probably because it was unfounded uh, arrests. The fear of snipers precipitated many police searches. The searching for weapons caused many homes and vehicles to be scrutinized. It was an excuse to infringe on their rights. Curfew violations were also common sparks to police brutality. The Detroit police's 10th precinct routinely abused prisoners. God, I can't talk tonight. As mugshots later proved, many injuries came after booking. Women were stripped and fondled while officers took pictures. Um, White landlords from New York visiting their building were arrested after a sniper call and beaten so horribly that their testicles were still black and blue two weeks after the incident. Uh, The death of Tanya Blanding. The four-year-old girl was huddled in her living room of a second floor apartment, a few steps from the intersection of 12th and Euclid in the heart of the original riot area. In precinct time Sporadic sniper fire had been reported in the immediate area earlier in the evening and the uh, previous night. Guardsmen reported one of their units under fire at the intersection and believed they had pinpointed it as coming from the apartment in which Tanya and her family lived. As a tank of the National Guard was being moved into position directly in front of the building, one of the occupants of the Blanding apartment was said to light a cigarette. Guardsmen opened fire on the apartment with rifles and the tank's 50 caliber machine gun. At 1.20 a.m., Tanya Blanding was dead. Sergeant Mortimer J. LeBlanc, age 41, admitted firing the burst into the windows of the apartment where Tanya was found after another guardsman told him that sniper fire had come from there. <clears throat> Tanya's mother, June, filed the lawsuit for $100,000 in damages, On the grounds that Sergeant uh, LeBlanc fired negligently into the apartment and he was exonerated. What? He admitted in court that he did it and he was exonerated? July 26th. Some analysts believed that violence escalated with the deployment of troops, although they brought rioting under control within 48 hours. Uh, Nearly all of the Michigan Army National Guard were exclusively uh, white, inexperienced militarily, and did not have urban backgrounds, while the Army paratroopers were racially integrated and had seen service in Vietnam as a result the army paratroopers were at ease and able able to communicate easily in the city while the national guardsmen were not as effective the national guardsmen engaged in uh, what they said were firefights with locals resulting in the death of one guardsman of the 12 people that troops shot and killed only one was shot by a federal soldier Army paratroopers were ordered not to load their weapons except under the direct order of an officer. And the Cyrus Vance report made afterward criticized the actions of the National Guardmen who shot and killed nine civilians. Tanks and machine guns were used in the effort to keep the peace. Film footage and photos that were viewed internationally showed a city on fire with tanks and combat troops and firefights in the streets. The Michigan Civil Rights Commission <clears throat> intervened in the, in the rebellion to try to protect the rights of uh, arrestees. The arrival of the CRC was not well received by the police, saying the observers were interfering with police work. Wow, that's so original. The Detroit Police Officers Association protested to Romney, we resent the Civil Rights Commission looking over our shoulders, just waiting for some officer to stub his toe. Maybe quit killing civilians. Maybe. At one precinct, a white officer bitterly abused a black CRC observer, saying that that all people of his kind should be killed. Uh, as reported by United Press International, the riots brought out the best as well as the worst in people. As Lewis Cassells uh, reported on the ground for UPI, quote, at a moment when race relations might seem to have sunk to the lowest possible level, whites and Negroes were working together through their churches to minister to the hungry and homeless. The effort transcended denominational lines. By Wednesday, July 26th, Protestants, Catholics, and Jews had established an interfaith emergency center to coordinate the relief work. District collection centers were set up at scores of churches and synagogues across the city. The food, clothing, bedding, and cash contributed uh, through them brought to the interfaith center, from which aid was distributed strictly according to need without regard for race, creed, or color. Acts of kindness and generosity were not confined to religious groups either. Unions, led by the UAW and the Teamsters, joined with industrial firms in setting up a truck pool to transport relief supplies into the riot area. It was not just a matter of white people being kind to black people, often it was the other way around. I saw Negro families bringing cool drinks of water to white National Guardsmen standing post in blazing sun. On several occasions, white reporters trapped down the streets during wild gun battles between guardsmen and snipers, were taken into the relative safety of uh, nearby Negro homes, even though opening the door to admit them was a real risk to that family. People can be pretty wonderful, even in a riot. And uh, I just wanna point out that things like that are gonna bring out community. Um, Of course, there's the, the terrible, terrible dark side of it, and I'm not trying to undercount that, But those acts of kindness and generosity really show people's nature. Um, We evolved through cooperation, not competition. Um, By Thursday, July 27th, sufficient order had returned to the city that officers withdrew ammunition from the National Guardsmen stationed in the riot area and ordered them to sheath their bayonets. Troop withdrawal began on the 28th of July, um, the day of the last major fire in the riot. The army troops were completely withdrawn by Saturday, Saturday, July 29th. Uh, and the Detroit Rebellion was a catalyst to unrest elsewhere, as the uprising spread from the city into adjoining suburbs and other areas of Michigan. Minimal rioting was reported in Highland Park and River Rouge. Um, a heavier police presence was required after a bomb threat that was phoned into an a, uh, EG Corvette store in South Cri- Southgate. And very minimal violence was reported in Hamtramck. The state deployed National Guardsmen or state police to other Michigan cities as simultaneous riots erupted in Pontiac, Flint, Saginaw, Grand Rapids, Toledo, Toledo, and Lima, Ohio. New York City, Rochester, New York, Cambridge, Maryland, Englewood, New Jersey, Houston, Texas, and Tucson, Arizona. Disturbances were reported in more than two dozen cities. Um, Blacks and whites in Detroit viewed the events of July 1967 in very different ways. And I saw some of that firsthand too. I had heard from people that had, you know, Families who had moved to the suburbs because of the riots tell a very different story than the inner city people of color. I'm just saying. Um, anyway. Uh, part of the process of comprehending the damage was to survey the attitudes and beliefs of people in Detroit. Sidney Fine's chapter, quote, The Polarized Community, cites many of the academic and Detroit Free Press finance public opinion surveys conducted in the wake of the riot. Although black nationalism was thought to have been given a boost by the civil strife, as membership in Albert Klieg's church grew substantially and the New Detroit Committee sought to include black leadership like Norval Harrington and Frank Biddoe, it was whites who were much more likely to support separation. 1% of Detroit blacks favored total separation between the races uh, in 1968, whereas 17% of Detroit whites did. African-Americans supported integration by 88%, while only 24% of whites supported integration. Residents of the, the 12th Street area differed significantly from Blacks in the rest of the city, however. For example, 22% of 12th Street Blacks thought they should uh, get along <clears throat> without whites entirely, segregation. Nevertheless, the Detroit Free Press survey of Black Detroiters in 1968 showed that the highest uh, approval rating for people was given to conventional politicians like Charles Diggs and John Conyers compared to Albert Klieg. Hmm. Um, in Detroit, an estimated 10,000 people participated in the riots with an estimated 100,000 gathering to watch. 36 hours later, 43 uh, people were dead, 33 of whom were black and 10 white. More than 7,200 people were arrested, most of them black. Mayor Jerome Cavanaugh lamented upon surveying the damage, quote, today we stand amidst the ashes of our hopes. We hoped against hope that what we had been doing was enough to prevent a riot. It was not enough. The scale of the riot was the the worst in the United States since, note the year, the 1863 That's during the Civil War. New York City draft riots, and was not surpassed until the 1992 Los Angeles riots, 25 years later. Uh, 1,189 people were injured, 407 civilians, 289 suspects. I'm just pointing out that that is more civilians than suspects. and It was more suspects than police officers. I'm just saying. 407 civilians, 289 suspects, 214 police officers, 134 firefighters, 55 National Guardsmen, 67 Michigan State Police officers, 15 Wayne County Sheriff deputies, and eight federal soldiers. Fucking 7,231 people were arrested, including 703 Juveniles. The youngest was four. How the fuck are you gonna arrest a four-year-old? Are you shitting me? Uh, many of those arrested had no criminal record. 250 whites, or 251 whites, and 678 blacks. Of those arrested, 64% were accused of looting, and 14% were charged with curfew violations. Um. One of the criticisms of the New Detroit Committee, uh, an organization founded by Henry Ford II, JL Hudson, and Max Fisher, while the embers were still cooling, was that it gave credibility to radical black organizations in a misguided attempt to listen to the concerns of the quote, inner city Negro and quote, the rioters. Moderate Black leaders such as Arthur L. Johnson were weakened and intimidated by the new credibility the rebellion gave to Black radicals, some of whom favored, quote, a Black Republic carved out of five Southern states and supported, quote, breaking into gun shops to seize weapons. The Kerner Commission, uh, Deputy Director of Field Operations in Detroit, reported that the most militant organizations in the 12th Street area did not consider it immoral to kill whites. Uh, well, I mean, probably, mostly is self-defense. Uh, even in the case of black nationalists, they weren't proposing running down the streets killing white people, I'm just saying. Um, adding to the criticism of the New Detroit Committee in both the moderate black and white communities, was the belief that the wealthy white industrial leadership were giving voice and money to radical black groups as a sort of riot insurance. The fear that the next riot would not be localized to inner city black neighborhoods, but would include the white suburbs, which was a significant fear of right-wing media during the Black Lives Matter protests, I'm just saying. Um, it, it was common um, in the black middle class and white communities. White groups like Breakthrough started by city employee, Donald Lobsinger, a parks and rec department employee, wanted to arm whites and keep them in the city because if Detroit, uh, quote, became black, there would be guerrilla warfare in the suburbs. Detroit Councilman Mel Ravitt said the rebellion divided not only the races since it deepened the fears of many whites and raised the militancy of many blacks, but it opened up wide cleavages in the black and white communities as well. Moderate liberals of each race were faced with new political groups that voiced extremist solutions and fueled fears about future violence. Compared to the rosy newspaper stories before July 1967, The London Free Press reported in 1968 that Detroit was, quote, a sick city where fear, rumor, race prejudice and gun buying have stretched black and white nerves to the verge of snapping. Yet ultimately, if the riot is interpreted as a rebellion, uh, which it should be, or a way for black grievances to be heard and addressed, it was partly successful. The black community in Detroit received much more attention from federal and state governments after 1967. And although the new Detroit committee ultimately shed its black membership and transformed into the mainstream Detroit Renaissance group, money did flow into black owned enterprises after the riot. However, the most significant black politician to take power in the shift from a white majority city to a black majority city, Coleman Young, uh, Detroit's first black mayor, wrote in 1994, so uh, 30, almost 30 years after that. Uh, the heaviest casualty, however, was the city. Detroit's losses went a hell of a lot deeper than the immediate toll of lives and buildings. The rebellion put Detroit on the fast track to economic desolation, mugging the city and making off with incalculable value in jobs, earning taxes, corporate taxes, retail dollars, sales taxes, Mortgages, interest, property taxes, development dollars, investment dollars, tourism dollars, and plain damn money. The money was carried out in the pockets of the businesses and the white people who fled as fast as they could. The white exodus from Detroit had been prodigiously steady prior to the riot, totaling 22,000 in 1966, but afterwards it was frantic. Um, In 1967, with less than half the year remaining after the summer explosion, the outward population migration uh, reached 67,000. In 1968, the figure hit 80,000, followed by 46,000 in 1969. According to economist Thomas Sowell, before the ghetto riot of 1967, sounds like a bourgeois prick, don't it? Detroit's black population had the highest rate of home ownership of any black urban population in the country, and their unemployment rate was just 3.4%. It was not despair that fueled the riot. It was the riot. It was not despair that fueled the riot. Are you fucking kidding me? Just because they weren't, you know, unemployed or miserable in an economic sense does not mean that they weren't in a state of uh, despair. They were being profiled on an extreme basis, uh, more often than not beat by the police without prejudice. There's evidence of that. Anyway, he, uh, Thomas Sowell went on to say it was the riot which marked the beginning of the decline of Detroit to its current state of despair. Detroit's population today is only half of what it once was and its most productive people have been the ones who fled, oh my God. Yeah, dude. White people do everything, right? Fuck Thomas Sowell. I don't even know who the fuck he is. (coughs) Nationally, the rebellion confirmed for the military and the Johnson administration that military occupation of American cities would be necessary. In particular... The uprising confirmed the role of the Army Operations Center as the agent to anticipate and combat domestic guerrilla warfare. State and local governments responded to the rebellion with a dramatic increase in minority hiring, which, by the way, they haven't fixed the system. So it doesn't matter if there's a majority of minorities in the police force at this point, it matters well, A, the people at the top, but also the the oversight and and reforms within the system itself. Um, it was just to be able to, to be like, see, well, half the officers are black. What do you mean it was a racist attack on the black community? Racism is systemic. Anyway. Um... On August 18th, 1967, the State Police Department swore in the first black trooper in the 50-year history of the organization. In May 68, Detroit Mayor Kavanaugh appointed a special task force on police recruitment and hiring. 35% of the police hired in Detroit in 1968 were black. And uh, by July 1972, Blacks made up 14% of the Detroit police, more than double their percentage in 1967. The Michigan government used its reviews of contracts issued by the state to secure an increase in non-white employment. Minority group employment by the contracted companies increased by 21.1%. Prior to the disorder, Detroit enacted no ordinance to end housing segregation, and few had been enacted in the state of Michigan at all. Some liberal politicians had worked for fair housing over the years, but white conservative resistance to it was organized and powerful. The reactionary movement began to wither after the insurrection, and Sidney Fine noted that, uh, quote, the Detroit riot of 1967 and the racial disturbances it triggered elsewhere in the state, including Flint and Pontiac, swelled the number of Michigan cities with uh, fair housing ordinances to 15 by November, uh, the largest number in any state at that time, and to 35 by October 68, including some of the Detroit suburbs that had been previously almost entirely white. Uh, That's end quote, but I, I, I wanna point out too that it's not just housing discrimination that leads to almost entirely white communities. Um, I don't know what the current percentage is, but I used Livonia as an example earlier because I know that when I lived in Metro Detroit, Livonia was still 96% white. I'm just saying, and it was listed as a sundown town at what, one point in time, and third police force is almost entirely white. Um, anyway, they're not the only example of that in the suburbs either. Uh, there's a lot of that and just because they have ordinances prohibiting discrimination by race and housing doesn't mean that there aren't other forms of discrimination that are keeping their communities almost entirely white. I digress. Governor Romney immediately responded to the turmoil with a special session of the Michigan legislature where he forwarded sweeping housing proposals that included not only fair housing but Quote, important relocation, tenants' rights, and code enforcement legislation. And we, I say we, I don't live there anymore, but Michigan does have okay uh, housing laws, uh, landlord-tenant laws, and this all was a direct result of these riots. So just one more thing that you can add to the list if you live in the state of Michigan of, of things that riots have gotten you. But anyway. um, (laughs) In the aftermath of the insurrection, these proposals faced resistance from organized white homeowners and the governor's own Republican Party, which once again voted down the legislation in the House. Uh, This time, however, Romney did not relent and once again proposed the housing laws at the regular 1968 session uh which the michigan fair housing act took effect november fifteenth, 1968. um wow i've never even heard of this and i'm kind of taken aback by it Two years after the end of the uprising, Wayne County Sheriff Roman Gribbs, who was seen by many white Detroiters as their last quote white hope uh, in a city with a growing black population, created the Stop the Robberies and Enjoy Safe Streets or Stress campaign. Reading this is stressing me out. What the fuck? A secret and elite police unit that enabled police brutality. Stress used a, a, a tactic called decoy operation, where police officers tried to entrap, entrap sorry, potential criminals in an undercover stink. From its inception, Stress all but ignored white criminals, instead, focusing their operations on Black communities and increased confrontations between the Black community and police. During its first year of operation, the Detroit police department had the highest number of civilian killings per per capita of any American police department. The unit was accused of conducting 500 raids without the use of search warrants and killing 20 people within 30 months and this fostered an unhealthy fear and hatred between the black community and the police force. Well, I mean, it's interesting that that 1969, this becoming a thing, uh, coincides with the nationwide growth of the Black Panther Party. Um, But this this tactic, this decoy operation tactic is still used today for supposed uh, uh, drug bust operations um, or whatever. Um, But this hasn't gone away. I just didn't, I didn't realize it was, well, supposedly directly a result of this. I mean, I would argue that it was probably the growth of the Black Panther Party that spurred this, but anyway. Um... Yeah, I mean, um... so several songs, I, I was about to, to wrap it up, but actually this is interesting because I also want to plug a, a band out of Detroit that was involved organizing uh, around the, the the concept of the Black Panther Party in the form of the White Panthers, which um is the MC5? Um, the The Motor City is Burning was on their 1969 album Kick Out the Jams, and uh, I also recommend the song itself, Kick Out the Jams. Um, yeah. An episode of Star Trek, the original series titled Let That Be Your Last Battlefield used footage of burning buildings from the 1967 Detroit Rebellion to dramatize a planetary war between two humanoid-looking factions. One was colored black on the left side and white on the right and the other the opposite. These alien races were represented uh, by guest stars Frank Gorshin and Lou Antonia. So... This is one of the things that I love about Star Trek, and this is also why we're doing a Star Trek episode with the Star Trek communist. is this type of, of social critique that they've been doing for 50 years. Um, there was uh, a lot of artwork, um, There was a 2017 exhibition called art of rebellion black art of the civil rights movement curated by valerie j mercer for the detroit institute of arts uh black attack was painted by detroit abstract artist ali mcgee immediately following the event the work includes broad uh, broad strokes of color that appear spontaneous give form to the artist's memories of strength and resolve of black people facing intense opposition to change um Bill Harris, a Detroit-based poet, playwright, and educator, wrote about the condition of the Detroit Black community, referred to to him as DBC after July 67 uh, in Detroit, a young guide to the city. But, um, yeah. I think that about covers... we were hoping to cover here and uh i I just want to point out that there's a lot of parallels uh between this and the black lives matter i'm sorry that siren is very distracting uh but there there is a lot of parallels between the black lives matter uprisings in 2020 and the uh, race riots uh in 1967 uh the Detroit rebellion if you will um but but that wasn't oh my god finally okay so uh there the, there was multiple events uh, in the long hot summer of 1967, there was 159 race riots that erupted across the United States. Uh, in June, there were riots in Atlanta, Boston, Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Tampa. In July, there were riots in Newark, Detroit, Birmingham, Chicago, New York City, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, New Britain, Rochester, Plainfield, and Toledo. The most destructive riots of the summer took place in July in Newark, Newark, New. Uh, newark new jersey and detroit michigan and many contemporary newspapers headlines uh describe them as battles as a result of the rioting in the summer of 1967 and the preceding two years president lyndon b johnson established the kerner commission to investigate the rioting and urban issues of black americans um This, this long hot summer 1967 actually is pretty, um, there's at least one thing that's very relevant. Uh, you remember how Donald Trump said when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Was it Donald Trump? I don't know. It's some crazy fucking right wing, nut job. But anyway, when the looting starts, the shooting starts shooting, God damn it. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Um the chief of police in Miami said that in the long hot summer of 1967 um the justice department asked the media to use restraint in reporting Yeah Wow Um Anyway, like I said, that's all I really wanted to cover in this. And I wanted to thank everybody for uh, joining me today. Um, Join us again tomorrow for part one of Eldridge Cleaver's Soul on Ice. And then Saturday we have... Saturday, what the fuck am I talking about? Monday... We have part two of Anarchism and Other Essays by Emma Goldman featuring Bread Theory. Um, And then Tuesday is our, normally our current event stream, but we will be doing our uh, Star Trek and communism with the Star Trek communist. Yeah. That's all. Um, keep up with us at ForWeAreMoney.org. Find us on podcast platforms. If you like what we're doing and you wanna help, you can you can hit us up if you wanna like, you know, like actually help us like do research or, uh, you know, be a part of these these episodes or, or editing or art or promotion or whatever. Um, and of course, you can help us out financially. Uh, by going to www.patreon.com slash for we are many yeah we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe and we're doing our best to release our episodes early to our patrons Um, so if that's something that you would be interested in then by all means uh, subscribe And we appreciate each and every one of you. See you again tomorrow.